We now come to the first question, Giles Watling. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Number one, if you please. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I know the thoughts of the whole House will be with the friends and family of Lord Cormac and Bonnie Campbell. They were dedicated parliamentarians. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank my right honourable friend for his answer. Now, I am certain that everyone in this chamber will agree, whatever their political standpoint, that we should be able to think, speak and vote without fear or favour. But today I need to ask about the painful subject of dental care in Clacton, which is in crisis. Our ICS has found the money and a private firm has found the students to massively increase dental appointments in my patch. However, paper pushers in the NHS England keep citing spurious reasons to prevent this groundbreaking initiative being deployed. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that this is scandalous and should be dealt with and those people blocking it held to account? Prime Minister. Well, our dentistry recovery plan will make dental services faster, simpler and fairer for patients, including in Clacton, and will fund around two and a half million more appointments. Uh, on the matter the honourable friend raises, as he'll know, this is a local matter, so the Integrated Care Board will determine if they wish to support the pilot proposal in Clacton. But I know that the Minister for Public Health has written to my honourable friend about the proposal, and I hope her letter addresses his concerns. We come to leave the opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I join with the Prime Minister in his uh, remarks about Lord Cormac and uh, Ronnie Campbell? A Tory MP spent last week claiming that Britain is run by a shadowy cabal made up of activists, the deep state, and most chillingly of all, the Financial Times. Uh, at what point did his party give up on governing and become the political wing of the Flat Earth Society? Mr Speaker, Speaker, another week where the Honourable Member is just sniping from the sidelines because he has absolutely nothing that he can say what we do. What we're getting on with, Mr Speaker, is delivering on the people's priorities the number of small boats down by a third, Mr Speaker. NHS performance improving inflation continuing to fall. And, And, Mr Speaker, not only that, we're delivering a significant tax cut for millions of working Britons. While, while his incoherent energy plans would put taxes up for everyone across the country. Mr Speaker, his predecessor spent last week in America trying to flog her new book. In search of fame and wealth, she's taken to slagging off an under... They made her Prime Minister, now they can't bear talking about her. In search of fame and wealth, she's taken to slagging off and undermining Britain at every opportunity. She claimed claimed that as Prime Minister she was sabotaged by the deep state. She also remained silent as Tommy Robinson, that right-wing thug, was described as a hero. Why is he allowing her to stand as a Tory MP at the next election? Well, Mr Speaker, I don't believe a single member of this House supports Tommy Robinson, Mr Speaker. But, but, Mr Speaker, if if he wants to talk about former leaders and predecessors, the the whole country knows his record because he sat there 
while anti-Semitism ran rife in this party and not once but twice backed a man who called Hamas friends, Mr Speaker. But to their credit, to their credit, the Shadow Chancellor, the Shadow Home Secretary and indeed the Shadow Foreign Secretary refused to back the former Labour leader. But he didn't, because he's spineless, hopeless and utterly shameless. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, I've changed my party for the better. He is being changed by his party. The reason he's letting her stand is because he's too weak to do anything about it. It's the story of his leadership. When they refuse to accept any blame for the ruin of the last 14 years, you do wonder who they think has been running the country all this time. Thankfully, the former Prime Minister is on hand again to help. It turns out it's all the fault of the media, the corporate world and, bizarrely, the President of the United States. Winston Churchill once said, the price of greatness is responsibility. Now, I don't think the British public are expecting greatness from this Prime Minister, just a bit of accountability. So doesn't think it would be great if, just for once, the Tories actually took some responsibility. Mr Speaker, he talks about leadership, he talks about change, but when I learnt of something that I didn't agree with, I suspended one of my MPs straight away. But when he, but Mr Speaker, but Mr Speaker, when he learned, when he learned of vile, anti-Semitic remarks made by a Labour candidate, what did he do, Mr Speaker? He instructed his team to defend him. He sent, he sent a shadow cabinet minister to campaign for him, and he personally backed him for days. And that's the difference between us. I act on my principles. He hasn't got any. I can't believe he's saying it with a straight face. The former Prime Minister continued on our American odyssey. This work, this journey into the wild west of her mind, she also claimed she also claimed, Mr Speaker, that Nigel Farage is the man to restore the Tory party. Can the Prime Minister confirm whether he too would welcome Mr Farage back into the Tory fold? Mr Speaker, in our party we have a proud tradition of diversity and accepting everyone from every background. Indeed, it is a proud record that puts Labour to shame, Mr Speaker. This is the party that delivered the first Jewish Prime Minister, the first female Prime Minister, the first Black Chancellor, the first Muslim Home Secretary and now led by the first British Asian Prime Minister. While it seems he can only champion men from North London, it's the Conservatives that represent modern Britain. So, so this, this diverse Tory party does welcome Nigel Farage. The Prime Minister two months, two months, two months ago, the Prime Minister said the Tory party is a broad charge. I welcome lots of people who want to subscribe to our ideals and our values. This is the same Nigel Farage who said he agreed with the basic premise of Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech and bemoaned the influence of the Jewish lobby. So is the Prime Minister simply too scared to stand up to the gaggle of Tory MPs who moonlight as GB presenters, or does he genuinely think 
Nigel Farage shares the ideals and values of the Tory party. Mr Speaker, he wants to talk about values, but tomorrow in Rochdale, the people will have a choice of three former Labour candidates, two of which are anti-Semites, Mr Speaker. The truth is, his party is so mired in hate that despite three ex-Labour candidates standing, he can't back a single one of them, Mr Speaker. It's because we expel anti-Semites, he makes them Labour candidates. Mr Speaker, the, the truth is these are no longer the Tories your parents voted for and the public can see it. The Prime Minister has lost control of his party to the hordes of records of malcontents, the tinfoil hat brigade over there, the extremists who wreck the economy, all lining up to undermine him, humiliate him and eventually to get rid of him. When will he ever stand up to them and end the pathetic spectacle of a Tory party that used to try and beat Nigel Farage, now giving up and dancing to his tune instead? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, utterly shameless from someone who stood by while anti-Semitism ran rife in his party, oversaw the appalling situation in Rochdale and twice backed the member for Islington North. And in the last few homes, Mr Speaker, last few weeks, we've seen members of Parliament's homes surrounded, their events disrupted, council meetings threatened, and just last week, we saw the very rules that govern this place abused because of intimidation, Mr Speaker. While he might, while he might, Mr. Speaker, while he might want to bend to mob rule, we will face down the extremists and stand up for British values. Mr. Speaker, two years ago last Saturday, Russian forces launched their heinous attack on Ukraine. The response of the British government and the British people has been magnificent, and I want to pay my own tribute to all those who have done so much, not least in my own constituency of Bracknell, where Ukrainian people have been so warmly welcomed. Mr Speaker, we must never bow to tyranny. So could the Prime Minister please assure the House that our support to Ukraine and all of our NATO allies will continue to be unwavering. Prime Minister. Can I join my honourable friend in thanking people up and down the country, including the people of Bracknell, for welcoming Ukrainian families into their homes and communities. During my visit to Ukraine in January, I announced a major new package of support, including £2.5 billion of military assistance. And last week, we announced 50 new sanctions targeting individuals and businesses sustaining Putin's illegal war machine. Our support to Ukraine will never waver. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, 30,000 people dead, 70,000 injured, 1.5 million sheltering in Rafa, 300,000 living in what is considered to be feral conditions in northern Gaza, and of course 100 hostages still tragically held by Hamas. It is the horror of those numbers that demands that this House have its say, just as it is the horror of those numbers that show that this House should demand an immediate ceasefire. Now, President Biden has indicated that that ceasefire may take place 
from Monday. Does the Prime Minister share in his confidence? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, we have consistently called for an immediate humanitarian pause which would allow for the safe release of hostages, including British nationals and more aid, to reach Gaza. We welcome progress on a deal. As the Honourable Gentleman said, there has been progress and we urge everyone on all sides to seize the opportunity. And I've been clear that we must seize the momentum from this terrible tragedy to find a lasting resolution to this conflict, which delivers on the promise of a two-state solution and ensures that Israelis and Palestinians can live in dignity and security. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, we're now approaching five months since this conflict first began. And in that time, this House has equivocated and this government on three occasions at the United Nations has abstained when it could have voted for a ceasefire. Abstentionism is not leadership. So can I ask the Prime Minister, should this matter now come before the United Nations with a ceasefire potentially in sight, will he use his government's vote in order to deliver that ceasefire? Mr Speaker, we support the United States draft resolution uh, that was discussed with colleagues at United Nations last week, but just calling for an immediate full ceasefire now, which collapses back into fighting within days or weeks, and indeed does not release hostages, including British hostages, is not in anyone's interest. We must work towards a permanent ceasefire, and that starts with an immediate humanitarian pause to get aid in and hostages out. I agree with the Honourable Gentleman about the suffering of the people in Gaza, and in this country we should be proud of everything we are doing to help them and provide them the life-saving aid that they deserve. Dr Jamie Wallace. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I'm sure we're all proud of the open government we have, the availability of information and our open data. But with machine learning and AI fast uh, becoming uh, uh, more prevalent, does the Prime Minister not agree that now is the time for us to look at licensing this information where it's going to be used for commercial gain to inform intelligence that's going to disrupt society and our economy? Thank you. Prime Minister. Well, can I uh, join with my honourable friend and his passion for AI? And like him, I'm proud of our record at the forefront of the AI revolution, having created one of the world's first AI safety institutes, establishing the State of AI report and hosting the world's first ever Global AI Safety Summit. Now, I will ensure that my honourable friend meets with the relevant minister to discuss his proposals to ensure that we can harness the opportunities of AI and protect ourselves against the risk that it poses. Ms. Sabal Roberts. Plaid Cymru has signed the full facts pledge for an honest general election campaign. One of their one of Full Facts 4 asks is to renounce deceptive campaigning tactics. There is evidence of egregious, misleading campaigning in Wales and elsewhere by the Conservatives in recent weeks. We all have a responsibility to campaign honestly, because the alternative is to be complicit in dismantling democracy. Therefore, will the Prime Minister sign full facts pledge for an honest election? Mr Speaker, I I was pleased to just be in Wales last week, and these are the facts on the ground. The Labour-run Welsh NHS is performing the worst in the United Kingdom. 
small Welsh businesses, including pubs and restaurants, are facing a crippling rise in their business rates. And indeed, Welsh farmers are being decimated by the plans of the Welsh Labour government. Those are the facts in Wales, and we're going to continue to point them out at every opportunity. Mr Speaker, there are 4,000 patients in Carshalton and Wallington facing uncertainty after landlords pulled out of discussions the day before the GP practice's lease expired and then issued them notice that they were trespassing. Now, the, the local ICB has issued a very weak statement. The local Lib Dem run council is refusing to meet the practice and myself. And now we have 4,000 patients unsure if they're going to have a surgery to go to. So can the Prime Minister assure me that when these decisions are taken by landlords, that there is appropriate infrastructure in place to support NHS patients before they are cast out to try and find somewhere else to go? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, as my honourable friend will know, GP leases are commercial agreements between landlords and tenants, but he's right. Everything that can be done should be done to ensure that GP surgeries do not have to close. That's why in March last year we commissioned a review into legislation governing these leases, and the review will create a new framework that will make leasing to tenants such as GP surgeries and other groups easier and more accessible. But I know his local residents will want this sorted as soon as possible to take advantage of the extra appointments that we are creating so that people can get access to the primary care that they need. Alan Smith. Mr Speaker, one of the few good things to come out of Wednesday's Stramash last week was that the House united around a call for an immediate ceasefire. Now, I welcome that. That's progress. The Prime Minister was just given an opportunity by my friend to commit the UK's representatives in the United Nations and elsewhere to articulate that position of this House. If they're not going to do that, what would he say to those of us who say this place really is just a sick pantomime? Mr. Mr Speaker, as I outlined previously, it is not right to call for an immediate ceasefire that would collapse instantly into more fighting and not do anything to get more aid into Gaza to alleviate the suffering that people are experiencing, but also to make sure that we can safely remove hostages, including British hostages. That has been our consistent position. We have been calling for an immediate humanitarian uh, ceasefire, which will provide the conditions for a lasting and sustainable peace. But just calling for something that will collapse back into fighting is not in anyone's interest. But all our diplomatic efforts at the United Nations and elsewhere are targeted towards bringing that about, and I'm pleased that in recent days progress has been made, and we should keep pressure on all parties to come to a resolution. Does my right honourable friend share my enthusiasm at Monday's announcement of 27 new potential bathing water sites across the country, including three in Shropshire, two on the River Severn in Ironbridge and Shrewsbury, and one on the River Team at Ludlow? How will these very welcome designations improve the quality of rivers in Shropshire and the other areas under consideration? Mr Speaker, on Monday we launched a consultation on the largest ever rollout of new bathing water sites, 27 potential new bathing waters in England, including an extra one on the River team in Ludlow in my right honourable friend's constituency. And he's right, substantial improvements have been made in recent years. 
Almost 90 per cent of designated bathing waters in England now meet the highest standards of good or excellent, up from just 76 per cent in 2010, Mr Speaker. All part of our plan for water, which, alongside this side of the House, voting for the strictest storm overflow targets and plans for unlimited penalties for polluting water companies, opposed by the party opposite. The parent of a two-year-old in the UK is currently spending over £14,000 a year on a full-time nursery place. Last year, the Prime Minister promised these parents that in April 2024 there would be a new free childcare offer. With only a month to go, parents don't know they can access this offer because of staff shortages and because of the lack of childcare spaces. So could I ask the Prime Minister today, will the parents that he promised, will they be able to accept this childcare offer that he talked about last year, or is this another example of a broken Tory promise? Mr Speaker, we're delivering on what we said, which is 30 hours of free childcare a week for parents of working parents of children from nine months until they start school. It is the largest ever expansion of childcare in our country's history. But what I'd say to the Honourable Lady is, perhaps she might want to have a conversation with her Welsh Labour colleagues, who have been given the funding to deliver childcare expansion in Wales. And what have they done? They've pocketed the money instead of matching our plans to support parents in England. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. The notorious Ali Treaton Crossroads, just outside of Orton in my constituency, is just one of several major safe road safety and highway issues that have been ignored for decades by the Labour-controlled Rotherham Council. I will be presenting a petition to this place telling Rotherham Council to end this chaotic mismanagement, but can I ask the Prime Minister's support to urge both the Labour Control Council and the Labour Mayor to listen to residents, get this junction sorted, to stop the huge tailbacks, save lives, get Rother Valley moving and end this war against cars in my constituency. My uh, honourable friend raises an important point, and he's right to champion his constituents in this way, because when Labour run things, they do just run them badly. And he can be assured that we have provided three-quarters of a million pounds of funding to Rotherham Council for safety improvements to local roads, and we're continuing to provide vulnerable friends' constituents with a further billion pounds allocated to his local area in the second round of the City Region Sustainable Transport Settlements. Because of the decision that we made on HS2, communities, towns and cities across the Northern Midlands are going to receive billions of pounds of funding for transport projects that will make a difference to him and his constituents far quicker than anything else that was planned. Another 80 victims of the contaminated blood scandal have died since Sir Brian Langstaff gave his final recommendations on compensation to the government in April 2023, 329 days ago. Will the Prime Minister join families who are lobbying members of Parliament here today to explain why his government has failed to implement any of those recommendations 11 months on. Mr Speaker, I'm acutely aware of the strength of feeling on this issue and the suffering of all of those impacted 
by this dreadful scandal, we've consistently acknowledged that justice should be delivered. I gave evidence to the public inquiry last year. The government has accepted the moral case for compensation, and which is why on Monday, in the other place, we committed to bringing forward amendments at report stage of the Victim and Prisoners Bill with the intention of speeding up the implementation of our response to the infected blood inquiry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to thank the Prime Minister sincerely for the extra £244 million announced this week for transport and investment in Shropshire. This comes on top of £300 million for modernisation of our local A&D services, levelling up funds to modernise Shrewsbury Town Centre and fully funding the North West Relief Road, the Ring Road round Shrewsbury. These infrastructure projects will have a major benefit, not just for us, but for those who follow us in Shropshire. There is, however, one issue I would like to still raise with the Prime Minister, which is how our local Shropshire Council is funded to deal with adult social care costs. We have a disproportionately ageing population in Shropshire, and Shropshire Council is struggling to meet those additional costs. What more can be done to help councils like Shropshire deal with rising adult social care costs? Well, Mr Speaker, can I pay tribute to my honourable friend for the work he does representing his constituents? Uh, he's right about the pressures that are faced, in, particularly in rural areas, which is why the government provided £600 million of additional funding for local government across the country, ensuring around a 7.5% increase in resources available to invest in social care, but also by an extra addition to the Rural Services Delivery Grant, an acknowledgement of the challenges of providing services in rural areas, with more funding for those rural councils to deliver. My constituent Lee Haywood in Dalmarnock is on a communal heat network and has seen both his standing charges and his energy bills absolutely soar. Heat network, the heat network market framework was introduced in 2021, but in a letter from his minister in the Lords last week, he says his ambition, his ambition was, is that price regulation will only start in spring 2026. So can I ask, is it his government's incompetence or Ofgem's lack of powers that are letting down constituents who can't afford to put on their heating this winter? Mr Speaker, as the Honourable Lady will know, standing charges are a matter for the independent regulator Ofgem, who are currently looking at all of those things as part of a consultation. And more generally, it's this government that's providing considerable support to families across the country, including in Scotland, with their energy bills. And I'm sure she will join me in welcoming the recent announcement about the fall in energy bills, bringing them back to levels that we haven't seen in a long time, on top of the cost of living support that the Chancellor has provided, so that everyone in our country gets the help that they need. Paul Brister. Warrington Fields is a much-loved open space, cherished by local residents and used by the nearby school as playing fields. Shockingly, Peterborough City Council proposed to fence off almost the entire area, rejecting a compromise that most residents and the school were happy with. Bizarrely, that the local council seeks to blame the Secretary of State for Education, myself, and even the Prime Minister. Will my right honourable friend get behind my campaign to save Warrington Fields and make it clear right here, right now, that this is a matter entirely for the local authority? Yeah. Uh, can, I, uh, can I pay tribute to my honourable friend? 
for his championing of his constituents on this matter. As he knows, last year the Education Secretary rightly rejected Peterborough City Council's application to remove the playing field land at Ken Stimson Community School from educational land to public open space. And that decision ensured that children will have access to the open space that they deserve. But I am told by the Department that the Council can provide for some of that land to be fenced, and the department would be comfortable with that, provided that the overall site remains an educational land. That is something that I know he wants to see, and the department are ready to work with him to make sure that that happens. Gavin Jones. Uh, after yesterday's revelation that uh, Nick Reid, the CEO of the post office, is under investigation for an 80-page report written by the former head of HR at the post office, does the Prime Minister and the Business Secretary have confidence in Nick Reid's leadership at the Post Office? Mr Speaker, it would clearly be inappropriate for me to comment on an investigation before it has been completed. Our focus remains working closely with the Post Office to ensure that it delivers justice for postmasters caught up in this historic scandal, and that's why we will imminently bring forward the legislation that we promised. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A few years ago, there was a proposal to build nearly 7,000 houses in a beautiful part of my constituency near the villages of Castor and Aylesworth, against the wishes of the local residents. I worked with the local community, and together we were able to stop this development. However, efforts are now being made to include this land in a revised Peterborough local plan. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that it is very important that the voice of the local community is heard and that it is unacceptable that developments can take place in this circuitous way, especially when there is other more suitable land available in and around the City of Peterborough? My right, my right honourable friend raises an important issue, and he's right that the local community should always have their voice heard. It's, it's important that councils bring forward local plans, but this must be done in close consultation with local communities because their voices matter. As I understand it, the Peterborough local plan is still under preparation and there are opportunities to provide comments on the draft plan. So I encourage and commend my honourable friend for continuing to support his local community to make sure that their voice is heard. Sarah Owen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister talks about things going backwards. The UK is the only Western G7 power in recession. Seven consecutive quarters of no growth. That is the worst since records began in 1955. So can the Prime Minister tell the businesses going bust, tell the families struggling to pay their bills and tell those being made homeless why this recession, which has his name written all over it, is a good thing for our country? Mr. Mr. Speaker, I would say to the Honourable Lady, she might want to check some of the facts that she just outlined for the House that aren't quite right. Perhaps she would like to explain to the country why it is that her party is stuck with a completely incoherent energy policy that will saddle working families with £28 billion of higher tax rises and higher energy bills. Jonathan Gullis. Mr. Speaker. Since 2019, the Prime Minister has had our backs in Stoke-on-Trent North, Kidsgrove and Talk, with record in funding for our local transport. Over £200 million for Stoke and Staffordshire to repair potholes. Over £30 million to improve our bus network with cheaper fares and new and extended routes. Funding to upgrade both Kidsgrove and Stoke-on-Trent railway stations. 
bringing back the Stoke to Leak line. And this week, we've seen Stoke on Trent and Staffordshire see a tenfold increase in transport funding year in, year out. I know the party opposite like to talk down Stoke on Trent North kids going and talk. But isn't it true that this Prime Minister, this Conservative Party, are the only party with a plan to improve our, uh, better connect our communities and fix our broken roads and pavements? Well, as ever, my honourable friend is a fantastic champion for Stoke-on-Trent and Kids Grove. And he's right, over the next several years, his area will receive ten times as much as they currently do to invest in local transport schemes as a result of this government's decision on HS2. But he's also right. After years of being neglected by the party opposite, it's this Conservative government that is levelling up across the country and in Stoke-on-Trent, championed by fantastic MPs like him. Mr Speaker, the advent of the Cromarty Firth Green Freeport is most welcome. Mr Speaker, I wonder what discussions the Prime Minister has had with the Scottish Government, who will be responsible for ensuring that there is a robust roads network associated with the Freeport and that there will be sufficient housing for the influx of workers who we hope will contribute to our dream of the fabrication of offshore renewable structures. I welcome the Honourable Gentleman's support for the Freeport, taking advantage of our Brexit opportunities to deliver two Freeports in Scotland, which will attract jobs and investment in the industries of the future. Uh, with regard to infrastructure investment, not only do we provide the tax benefits for a Freeport, there are £25 million of seed funding available to the Freeport in discussions with the Government that can be used on local infrastructure improvements that make sense to develop the, develop the opportunities that the Freeport provides. Simon Fell. The AUKUS programme is not just a national endeavour designed to keep our nation safe, but also an international partnership that speaks about our ambitious work across the globe to pursue security and contain threats. So can I personally thank the Prime Minister for his engagement with the Team Barrow initiative, bringing together senior civil servants, my council, BAE and myself, to drive this programme forward, making sure we can deliver these boats to time and to budget. That means improving the local area considerably and investing in it too. With that in mind, could I invite the Prime Minister to Barrow to meet not just the fantastic people building the boats of the future, but also to see how this programme is going to uplift Furness for the future? Prime Minister. At a time of great instability around the world, with the war in Ukraine and the Red Sea, my honourable friend is absolutely right that AUKUS is a game-changing defence and security partnership that will keep us safe and create thousands of jobs, both in the UK, shipyards and supply chain, building on the investment in places like Barrow, Derby and elsewhere. He's a fantastic champion of what this industry means in his area, and the Team Barrow partnership is a crucial component of ensuring AUKUS is a success. That's why the Chancellor provided millions of pounds of funding for a delivery board for Barrow. We recently discussed this at Cabinet, and I look forward to visiting him and his community when my diary allows to see the progress for myself. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This last weekend, the Prime, the Prime Minister posed for photographs with a group that shares extremist conspiracy theories on climate change and campaigns against net zero. Does the Prime Minister share their views? I, that's, that's no way to talk about the Welsh farming community, Mr Speaker. My, uh, my, my integrated care board tell me 
that only £2 million of the £120 million of capital which they receive annually is for primary care. And that seems an unfairly small amount for our amazing family doctors and practice nurses who are, after all, the front door of the NHS. So can our local GPs have a greater share of this? Prime Minister. Can I thank my honourable friend for his excellent and continued campaigning on health provisions for his constituents? Now, on the specific point that he raises, integrated care boards do have the power to increase their primary care annual capital management budgets as long as they keep within the overall budget. I understand my honourable friend recently met with the health minister earlier this week to discuss this further, and I will make sure that his proposals are very carefully considered. Dame Angela Riedel. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has just told my right honourable friend, the member for North Durham, that it's inappropriate for him to be commenting as a government minister on what uh, uh, bullying allegations at the post office, and yet he allows his trade secretary to comment uh, freely, loudly, and often on Twitter. Is he content with her activities and her behaviour in this respect? Mr Speaker, the business secretary set out her position explicitly and clearly in the House last week. And actually, since then, and despite some of the claims that were made by the party opposite, the former permanent secretary at the department has completely refuted the claims that were made. And yesterday, the current CEO of the post office and the director of business resilience at the department also refuted Mr Staunton's recollection. Our focus and priority is delivering justice and compensation for those who have suffered a historic injustice. We are introducing legislation to right this wrong, and we will make sure that everyone gets the compensation that they deserve. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The £132 million allocated to Cornwall from the Shared Prosperity Fund not only kept our promise to the Cornish people to replace EU funding, but has supported dozens of businesses and funded projects across the duchy. However, the current round of SPF expires next year, so can the Prime Minister c- confirm that his government will continue with Shared Prosperity funding and continue to provide the support the Cornish economy needs? Prime Minister. It was great to visit my honourable friend the other week in his constituency and see the delights of Cornwall, and I wish everyone a happy St Piran's Day for next week, Mr Speaker. Uh, Now, Cornwall has been awarded over £130 million to deliver, I think, 100 different projects across the county through the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. Funding is confirmed for this spending review period up to the end of March 2025. But as with all government funding, decisions regarding the future of the fund are a matter for the next spending review. But I can assure him that we remain committed to an ambitious levelling up agenda in Cornwall and across the country. That completes Prime Minister's questions. Yeah. Yeah.